This podcast is intended for adults and might include adult language, themes, and sex education. If you're under the age of 18, we recommend visiting scarleteen.com. Who played show and tell? It was fun and exciting to tell our friends and classmates about what we were proud of, what we had learned, what our favorite new toy was. And somewhere along the way, we learned that we are not supposed to show or tell our stories and experiences about sex and our bodies. Show and Tell Sex is a podcast produced by Self Serve Toys in collaboration with KUNM, a public radio station in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Self Serve Toys is a feminist sex shop in Albuquerque, New Mexico, specializing in body safe, non toxic toys with a health and education focus. Find us online at selfservetoys.com. On Show and Tell Sex, we'll show you the parts that so often get left unsaid. We'll show you the parts that we've silenced. We will tell our secrets. We will be brave together. And we'll have some fun, because Show and Tell was always fun. Welcome to Show and Tell Sex. My name is Hunter Riley, and I'm very fortunate to have with me today two guests, and we're going to be talking about white supremacy in sex education. So in the studio with me, I have Jennifer Marley, and calling in, I have Cindy Lee Alves. So I'm going to let them introduce themselves, talk about the work they do, and then we're going to dive right into this conversation. So Jen, would you like to go first? Sure. My name is Jennifer Marley. I'm currently a student at the University of New Mexico pursuing a bachelor's degree in Native American Studies. Um, I hope to go on to the graduate Study department in the American Studies department. Um, I do organizing with the Red Nation. I'm also the vice president of UNM's Q- UNM UNM's Kiva Club right now, and I am an organizer with the the Pueblo Dene Solidarity Group. I'm from the Pueblo of San Aldefonso. Oh yeah, thank you. And so Cindy, let's hear a little bit about you. Hey, um, hi y'all. My name is Cindy Lee Alves. My pronouns are she and they. I am a sexologist. Most of the work that I do is in education and consulting and like private coaching. <clears throat> I'm also on the executive board for Waction, which is the Women of Color Sexual Health Network. I am a doctoral candidate, candidate for Widener's uh, Sexuality Studies Program. Yeah, other than that, I don't know. I'm a cancer and a cancer rising. Uh, yeah, that's it. I'm here. Awesome. Thank you. And where are you Where are you based out of? I'm from New York, okay. but I am. I recently moved to Connecticut, so I always have to say the New York thing. I haven't let go of those ones yet. Yeah, yeah, that's fair. That's fair. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Cool. So, um this um, this podcast episode, you know, was something that we wanted to do and are very excited to have you all to help us talk about and to give a little bit of context about um, white supremacy and sex education. And so um, we can kind of just dive right in. Um, one of the things I would like to hear a little bit about is, um, you know, how how have you all seen or experienced uh, white supremacy in sex education and what has that been? So I don't know if you want to go first, Cindy, and then if you want to chime in next, Jen, that works for me. All right, so sexuality education, sexuality period is so interdisciplinary. Um, it's like a very general way to answer, but it's very difficult to not find examples of white supremacy in any field. But sexuality education in particular, uh, we have a very rich history, and a lot of it involves uh, white supremacy and the denigration or degradation of communities of color in particular uh, black communities, indigenous communities, 
different marginalizations like LGBTQ, uh, IA, and or, um, you know, folks who have varying abilities or identify as disabled. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, that's my answer for now. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you. That's great. (laughs) I know that it's it's a lot to cover. It's a big question. And I think we can definitely dive in a lot um, in the next little bit. Yes. So how have I seen white supremacy in sex education? Um, I guess I what comes to mind to me is um, how sex ed, the, his, the history of sex education and how we came to gain or how mainstream sex education um, was gained, and that's through the bodies of black and brown women. Um, mm-hmm. You know, the so-called father of gynecology, um, just tortured and murdered um, African women. Mm-hmm. And... Um, a lot of the way, a lot of the birth controls we have now, or birth control as we know it, um, was created by experimentation on brown and indigenous women. So mm-hmm. um, that's what I think of when I think when when I'm asked this question because I didn't actually get too much sex ed growing up. So right, um, yeah, I think sex education as we know it is founded on the exploitation of marginalized people. And I think that continues very much today. Yeah, at the same time, although black and brown people were were, um, exploited for this knowledge to be created, to this day they have have the lowest access to it. So this information is not always accessible in marginalized communities, which Uh is also something that needs Mm -hmm. to be talked about. Yeah, absolutely. Except if there's, I, I feel like it's filtered, right? Like if they have any access, it's the access that's allowed by the powers that be. Yeah. Right? So where, you know, we think about black and brown folks or types of folks in terms of like health disparities when we look at the research. Or when we talk about family planning, we're only talking about it from the place of um, how can we regulate uh folks of color in terms of their reproductive capacity, right? So, and people have such a disconnect to why certain folks, particularly communities of color, do not have trust or faith in the medical institutions Mm -hmm. or in places that have reproductive health options, even if they have access to begin with, because I know some states are limiting in that. Um, it's like, of course, there's, there's no trust, right? Because of the sterilization of black and brown bodies, mm-hmm. because of the experimentation, because of Tuskegee, we are still using Henrietta Lacks' cells, right? Like, there's so many receipts, um, and not until recently have we, been, have we been having the conversation of what are we going to do, right? Like, it, it, it's always been very, you know, not acknowledging our past, right? So, like, I've I've been to school for a long time now in terms of sexuality. So, like, when I was younger, I didn't get sex ed like that, except, you know, the the given, don't get pregnant, and here are these pictures, don't let your pieces end up looking like these. Mm -hmm. And that was it. But when you talk about some of the things that I've learned in undergrad and in graduate school, they leave out so many pieces. So, like, if you talk to people who are in the field and you ask them about, who are the the go-to people we're supposed to know in the field, right? Who are our leaders or our pioneers? At least in my experience, I didn't learn about hardly anyone that was a person of color. 
mm-hmm. um, that I should revere as somebody that I'm like, yes, I want to be like them, right? Mm-hmm. So there's this there's much to say about that lack right. of information. Well, and that reads, leads really well into my next question is, you know, why is that representation important? Why is it important for folks to, in the sex education they receive, you know, see people who, who have their, who they have shared identities with and who look like them giving this information? Because I think some people would say like, oh, well, why does it matter who your sex ed teacher is? Or why does it matter what their, you know, what their identity is or what the color of their skin is? But representation does matter. So could you all talk a little bit about that? Yeah, so I know that um, in my community growing up, um, it was always pretty taboo, at least to have like this talk with your parents about, um, I mean, having sex, enjoying sex, like knowing how to um, ask for consent, knowing what bad sex looks like. Those conversations were never had. And I think it's a reflection of a lot of the trauma we've all experienced and like this uh this culture of silencing that that occurs many times in communities of color, which you know is no to no fault of their own. I think that's just a, a lot of the shame that has been instilled in us through um, you know conquest, imperialism, and it looks different mm-hmm. all over the world. So um, when we see somebody who is native, who is black, who is Chicana teaching um, a sex ed class, you see somebody. Um, liberated. And I think seeing somebody liberated like that gives people permission to be curious. It gives them permission to ask questions and to just start exploring who they are. And um, Cindy, do you want to talk a little bit more about um, Wakshin and how you all got started and some of the work that you all do in the sex education field and beyond? Uh, Yes, absolutely. I think it, it comes down to that, right? Like it's been my experience and experience of a couple of folks that are doing the work under Wakshin that when we, uh, when we find the space to be able to even address, like, where are the people of color? We are given, we don't know anybody in the field that's a person of color. We don't have anybody. Like, all these reasons that were not sufficient for us, right? Because especially folks who started in community work, um, at least, you know, in my experience, everybody was a person of color that did the work, right? And in terms of the education, um, in terms of like frontline uh, providing the sexuality education, uh, were people of color. But yet, we would go to these conferences or see books published that they're like, "Here are all the experts in the field," and we're like, mm, "We're missing people," mm-hmm. right? And with that, you know. In, in you telling me that the experts don't look like me, that gives a message. It gives a message to me. It gives a message to the participants. So what Watson basically does is our whole mission is to create these opportunities and to make sure that inclusion uh, of women of color in particular, but folks of color altogether um, in the fields of sexuality, sexology, sexual health, um, intentionally challenging white supremacy in these fields that we're a part of, but we some some folks want to forget that these fields were built upon the whole premise of white supremacy. Um, and you know, we try to foster community amongst folks. Um, you know, I come from New York, and it's not uncommon for me to meet other folks that are interested in the field or are doing this work. 
but I'll go to conferences where we'll have uh, Waukesha members or people that are like at people of color caucuses at these various conferences and the emotion that comes out of just being like, I am from such and such state. I am the only person doing this work in my organization or in my field or in my community. And I thought there were no other folks. And just to, to get that sense of, you know, I see you and I hear you and, and I'm doing this stuff too, um, is really rewarding and the whole purpose of why Washington came about. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, and you all do some sort of networking and connection work with some of the other organizations, it seems, in the sort of sex- sexuality and sexology field as well. So it seems like y'all are doing a lot of, you know, connection between organizations and groups and also individuals as well. And, and you have a... Um, a directory, correct? Yes. So we have, you know, we're not a big organization. We are still working on trying to get our 501c3. But the first thing we did, because it was important to the founders, because I wasn't here from the beginning, but I'm um, one of the inaugural, I guess, uh, board members, is at least let's get a directory there. So no one can have that well, hopefully no one will be able to say, I don't know anybody of color that does that work. So we allow folks who want to be members to give us their information, give us their bio, and we post it and have it public on the Waksha space. Um, we have a like page on Facebook for all types of folks, inclu- including allies, accomplices. But then we also have a private Facebook group for women of color, anyone who identifies as a woman, um, because we also have folks who are across the gender spectrum Mm -hmm. um, that come to have that uh, women of color, person of color only space. Mm -hmm. And that's where we share jobs and we connect with these organizations and conferences to try to get scholarships if they award, if they give us that opportunity or you know, exhibitions or things like that so we can maintain relationships with these orgs so it could benefit uh, our members. Right. Whether or not we go to every single conference, because I know I can't, uh, we try to make it so that folks who aren't able to, because there's a lot of gatekeeping involved in these fields, especially Mm. when we're talking about professional spaces, we try to help, you know, knock that down a little. Right. Right, and yeah, and you will have scholarship programs and stuff, so folks can get scholarships through you to go to some of these conferences, which I think is awesome. Yes, thank you. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, so, you know, Jen, you mentioned not having a, a not having a ton of sex education growing up, but one of the things that was, you know, was brought to my attention a little while ago, you know, a couple of years ago, was, you know, one of the things, like, that even if you have very, like, the bare minimum sex education one of the things you see is you see like, you know, anatomical representations of people and it's like all white and pink skin, you mm-hmm. know, or like all of the all of the examples of penises are circumcised. Right. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, yeah. like did, were there sort of did, or, you know, as you were growing up, did you notice any of that or maybe even later as you were a little bit older looking back on it? Were there sort of some of those instances where maybe, you know, these sort of, you know, microaggressions are around race and sexuality are happening and and a lot of people aren't paying attention to them or is that something that came up for you um not quite to be honest just because Mm -hmm. like the sex education was so utterly lacking right (laughs) yeah you're like it wasn't even there to notice Yeah. (laughs) yeah yeah i mean um i know that 
a lot of I know that like the way beauty the way I conceived beauty was totally warped and I'm still having to unpack mm-hmm. that and undo that type of trauma because it is very traumatic mm-hmm. um it was I mean growing up it was the norm to um hear women in my family and my community talk bad about themselves and um mm-hmm. there was an aspiration to European beauty standards in many ways absolutely um but most of all, I think something that I realized was especially toxic in my community was um, internalized misogyny. Mm. And I mm. think um, that's something we I feel like we formed our ideas around sex um, from a place that it was one very influenced by mainstream imagery and and verbiage and pop culture coupled with uh, this like conservatism that it that a lot of our um, elders and parents possess that sort of uh, comes from this it comes from a place of I think I think it's I think it's very influenced by Catholicism and just this kind of um, puritanical thinking that's not always necessarily talked about or encouraged or addressed but it's made known through things like slut shaming and victim blaming and Mm -hmm. the protection of perpetrators it's never really outright said but it's taught through practice and through Mm um you know commentary Mm -hmm. so yeah i guess yeah that's all i have to say yeah no, that's awesome. Thank you. And um, I believe you were talking a little bit about it earlier, Cindy, but about you know some of the ways in which that Wachshund has engaged with the sex education and you know sexuality professional community around some of these examples of of white supremacy. Um, so can you talk about mm-hmm. that? And you know, I was sort of specifically thinking about the the Masters of Sex book, but if there's other examples as well. Um, you know, I think it's interesting to at least for folks to hear about how this how this plays out um, mm-hmm. in our communities. Yeah, that's a good example. Um, so there was a book that has that that came out, and it had a bunch of folks in the back of it. I think it was like three years ago now. Um, yeah, and they had pictures of everyone that was quote unquote this master of sex, right? And master, right. All, you know, is a problematic word altogether. Right. Unless we're talking kink, this level, this nuance, right? Yeah, right, exactly. So um, we look, race, like, in terms of looking at someone phenotypically, we do not see anybody um, that would be racialized. So we, you know, it was a lot of, you know, the quote-unquote calling in that people prefer. There was a lot of that at first, um, you know, behind the scenes and mm-hmm. emails that other Waukesha members were a part of and you know back and forth long story short it went it didn't go the way it you know it, it there wasn't a communication mm-hmm. it wasn't going so for the for the purpose of transparency we put this like letter out uh from all of us uh basically like talking about this specific instance but also bringing up like this is just one example and there was a lot of uh, back and forth about it because the person who wrote the book posted a blog about you know that we were bullying them, which you know is one of those tropes yeah. that um, get that people of color, women of color in particular, black women specifically, mm. that they they get that a lot, right? This angry, I'm bullying. Um, so we put this letter out. They still ended up winning an award from a prominent organization in our field. 
So then we had to send out another letter. We had to do it that moment. And just for, at the very minimum, the acknowledgement that we see this and we understand this and we need to make this known that this is not okay. Um, but current throwback on this on this Thursday. Uh, but currently <laughs> what we're trying to do uh, is position us to offer more opportunities for uh, folks of color. So what we're doing is one of our founders um, ha- is in charge and leading and has created a curriculum lab. So we did our first curriculum lab at Sister Song, where uh, people can, folks of color can uh, sign up and do this intensive where we talk about lesson planning, then we work on creating lesson plans, then uh, Bianca Loriano, who is the foundress in charge of that, is crafting it. We have um, a woman from New Orleans, Albany, who's going to be doing the graphic design. And we are set to create, like, curricula that people are able to sell uh, for themselves, the people who contributed to each curriculum, um, so that they have an opportunity to have authorship and to have uh, things published. Because sometimes, again, with the gatekeeping, we don't have those opportunities. So our next curriculum lab is going to be at ABSC, um, I believe, at the end of January. And what is, is what is ABSC? The, yes, it's the Association of Black Sexologists and Clinicians. They have a um, James, Dr. James Wadley heads that up where they do a conference every year. He's also in charge of the Journal of Black Sexuality and Relationships, I believe it's called. So we are in partnership with ABSC in offering a curriculum lab, uh, like a paid pre-con where folks can come learn um and do some work and get editing and we are going to be in charge of like editing and publishing so that whoever like if i'm contributing for example i get to put first authorship on what i sell to folks who are interested in the lesson plans that are created and crafted and it's just another opportunity for folks to um you know excel in the in their field and be able to do these things in that in our in our experience, there's not a lot of uh, opportunities for folks, or they're only limited to folks who are strictly academic or have, you know, these multiple terminal degrees. Mm. And a lot of folks don't have the degrees and still have brilliance um, that should be shared, and we'd like to provide that opportunity. Right, right. Well, and um, I don't know if you all have some, like, if you feel like you have something to share, what are some of the projects that you're excited about, you know, specifically that are by people of color uplifting their voices? What are some of the, you know, the working that you're really excited that's going on in that in that vein? Because I know there's some really cool stuff here happening and specifically with indigenous groups around like sex education. So are you able to talk about that at all? Yeah. So um, okay, oh. go ahead. <laughs> no, go ahead. No, good. Um, okay, well, um, one that I know just got started is um, I'm really happy about because it's taking place in um, my area where uh, my Pueblo is, and it's um, by Tewa Women United, and it's called Atgin, which means respect in our Tewa language, and it's really centering um, consent and um, respect for people's consent, and they also take a cultural approach, which I think is super important because... Um, you don't really hear anything sex positive that is um, conflated with culture. And I think um, a 
like when when that's not the case, um, sex positivity becomes lost, and it's something that is like almost counter to um, culture, which is just not true. So I'm really happy about that. Um, I'm also especially happy about um, another group, and I'm especially happy because they are all youth-led, and they're out of the Native American Community Academy here. They're called Peer Eds. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. And um, one of my good friends who's an indigenous sex educator, Rebecca Jones, um, she and another one of my friends, Kiosha Peter, um, hosts um, Peer Eds. Um, I believe it's a couple times a month, or at least once a month. And um, they do sex education training with them. They talk about sexual violence and abuse. They just give them like these really good uh, one-on-one workshops and presentations. And um, they then take that knowledge back to their high school, have their own workshops and do their own uh, knowledge production there. And they're all amazing, intelligent, and very like dedicated youth. They do this totally on their own accord. And I think that's what um, really genuine organizing looks like. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Cool. And what I'll try and do also is get some um, links and such to project organizations or, you know, Facebook pages or websites. So if anybody's interested in learning more about them, you can go check them out online. So we'll try and get that in the show notes as well. Um, and Cindy, so what, what are some of the projects that you're excited about that you see happening? Um. Nothing comes to mind right now besides that in terms of auction. Mm-hmm. But I just, you know, I know we are part of these silos, but I, you know, my Facebook feed is cultivated and crafted with a bunch of awesome, brilliant uh, folks of color that are doing work in the sexuality field. Um, and even folks that are like doing work in the sexuality field, but adjacent mm-hmm. um, that people don't recognize. So, like, any resources that I can think of, like the body is not, um, is not an apology mm, Yeah, that's great. Uh, with Sonia Renee Taylor and that work in terms of body positivity, right? There's so many things out there. It's, um, I miss my young people. I used to do so much work in New York city, working with, um, a lot of those federal grants that offer that sexuality education that, you know, they try really well, but they're problematic, but, Mm-hmm. The wonderful thing is my young people, they get it, right? So I used to do a lot of peer education work and facilitating with young people in the Bronx in particular. And we'd be able to talk about those nuances, right? Those, the, the things that were problematic about the curricula that we would have to mandated to teach them because um, we couldn't go aside from it because of funding. Um, and I think like that's, I'm looking forward to that. I'm looking forward to those people, those young people that have sparked the interest in continuing doing this work and doing it um, and, and doing it in a way that aligns with, uh, with organizing and with making these changes. And I'm just super hype about all the things that I see. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, and so what are some of the ways that like, if, if you can think of examples, you know, that people, are addressing white supremacy and there is a response and a sort of a forward moving and positive direction where that 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 change is being or that you know people are acknowledging they need to change or they need to tweak things um, to be more representative. Do you do you see that happening or are you you know what's what's the sort of current climate that you all feel is happening as far as addressing white supremacy in sex education? I think um, 
There's not enough right now. I think it's uh, at least here where I am located geographically. Um, it's just starting. It is being fronted by very young women of color, and that's a lot of labor to put on um, people who are already in a compromised position. And, um, yeah, they're the ones who lead it wholeheartedly. They're the ones who put in the most labor. Mm-hmm. So um, it's definitely still growing, but um, I have faith that it'll continue to grow. Right. Awesome. Thanks. <clears throat> And is there anything, Cindy, that comes to your mind about that? As if, uh, you know, as are, are are there efforts that are being well received and people are sort of changing their approach or starting to think about it in a different way? Uh, there are folks, I'm not going to say that there aren't folks that aren't trying to engage. Uh, it's, there's just a lot of work to be done, right? So, like, a lot of times when we do workshops or when I specifically do workshops on uh, sexuality and white supremacy or racial justice, I get a lot of, you know, nods. I get a lot of uh, preaching to the choir type stuff. Mm-hmm. But it, when it comes down to solutions, it's some of us get even, you know, I don't want to say jaded, but like, what are we going to do? Like, what are the solutions? And that's why I love young people so much because uh, solution-wise, they're just tackling it. To mm-hmm. me, it's we're going to get on the social media, we're going to get on the internet, we're going to embody what it should be looking like and and push forward and doing lobbying and, like, tying it to other movements to show, you know, why intersectionality is even a thing, right? Because a lot of folks are, like, bringing that up, especially with our current administration, and not acknowledging, uh, you know, that intersectionality came from a Black scholar talking about Black women, right? So I guess there's a lot of very well-intentioned folks, Mm. and I'm here for it, and I hope that the drive sticks. uh, But we need solutions, right? So we need things to be created we need to listen to young people and ask them what their needs are instead of continuing to give these federally funded curricula that are not effective not that they weren't effective ever Mm. but you know we change and we evolve and we're still using the same curricula even the ones that think that they're culturally responsive are problematic to to folks right so when we look at some you know there's a particular curriculum that comes to mind where it's supposed to be for the Latino community, but the first video you see, it's, you know, a very light-skinned couple, if I remember, dancing what looks like to be merengue over, like, a Mayan sun mm. uh, to a, like, I don't even know what kind of song. Like, it wasn't a merengue song. Right. It might be, like, a cumbia <laughs> song, right? So, right. like, all these things, because... You know, we still don't have it right, right? We 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 try really hard sometimes, and I say we, but I don't know what's happening. Um, <laughs> but folks try, and there needs to be more work put in place, right? Like there, these different identities are not a monolith, right? So with this particular curriculum, I'm talking about like Latinos. There are we got stuff too. Like in the Latino community, there's anti-blackness, there's white supremacy. That so we can't just put all the things we know about Latinos or Latinx folks and put it in this curriculum and say, look, we did it, right? Like, mm-hmm. we got it. We served everyone. Um, but I don't know what, like, we're trying to come up with these solutions because how do we uh, 
for, for example, these nonprofit organizations need funding, right? And mm-hmm. yes, nonprofit is an industrial complex too, but their funding usually comes from federal grants. Well, these grants are sometimes like, okay, we have to mandate, we have to use these particular curricula, despite the fact that we speak to our young people and they're like, this doesn't work for us. Mm-hmm. They're like, oh, but the study and the data says that it does. Well, it probably did when it first got published, but we evolved. Like, we... Right. We need something to keep up with uh, the way that we take in knowledge and to be able to be inclusive to everyone, right? Like similar to what you were saying, I don't want to see pink penises and vulvas all the time. Mm-hmm. I don't want to see skinny white bodies all the time. Like that was never me. Right. And even if you don't outwardly say it, you know, that in itself is a message. Mm-hmm. That sends a message. And there's, you know, for folks who need that data, like there's studies, there are receipts that show that that is not the best thing to do to provide to folks who are folks of color, right? Or myself, uh, as a person that identifies as queer, I wasn't out in high school, but I can imagine if I was out trying to go to these these heterocentric, cis-centric sex ed and be like, what am I here for? Like, what am I doing here? Right. Well, if like, none of this is something that applies to me. Right. If none of the information is relevant, it's not really helpful. Or I mean, right, it's, which it's, doesn't work because sometimes it is helpful, but right. we there's a there's a disconnect. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and I think one of the things too that you know is um, you know I really am glad that I'm seeing a lot of people talking about it is is finding ways to sort of recoup and re-energize from you know dealing with that all the time and so what what are some of the ways that you all you know sort of you know I mean self-care is obviously very important but also very overused and, and I think trivialized in a lot of ways but how how do you care for yourself as you know people who are working in and around sexuality professions you know how, how do you how do you take care of yourself when that gets heavy Um, yeah. Anybody who wants to answer, you, I guess, Cindy. <laughs> Sorry. Um, no, no, you're fine. You know, I'm, I'm here. Uh, I don't, I don't have the body language. Uh, I know, I know, it's hard doing phone me. interviews. <laughs> and, then, and then you're like, it's like a lag, and you're like, wait, is it me? Okay, it's me. <laughs> and I know a lot of folks are talking about self care, and. Some, some of us are like, oh, well, self-care is done with, but it's because it's crucial, right? right. We are taught, well, well, at least I can say for me, I'm taught and conditioned that self-care isn't a thing, right? We are taught that we only have an X amount of time in life, an X amount of time in the day. We have to, we have to produce, right? Whatever that is, either it's education or, you know, a, a particular trade. We, I have been taught to produce, and if I don't produce, then my value is affected by that. So how do I, you know, instill this thing of I cannot give it from an empty cup, right? Like mm-hmm. I have to, I have to, you know, take care of myself. And it's hard because it's easy for me to tell y'all take care of yourself, right? Like I'll do a self care workshop and it's fine, but to, yeah. to follow it, it's a lot more difficult. It's a lot of things that I gotta unlearn. It's like. It's okay, even if it's just as something as simple as giving yourself time to breathe and take breaths that will, you know, physiologically uh, is helpful. Um, 
But yeah, step away from things that are too much. Like if I stayed on top of all the news and the media, I don't know where I would be. Like I don't know if that would be good for my mental health. Um, So tuning out and, you know, focusing on joy, focusing on things that make you happy, right? Like I, I will listen to all the music I want, no matter what it is, right? If I need a trap music minute, I'm going to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, because I need to be a, a better Cindy Lee in order for me to do whatever it is that I want to do, whatever my goals are and my aims are to do this work in the field. I have to be a whole person mm-hmm. <laughs> or try my best to be a whole person. And I think that is part of my self-care. I think support and staying in contact with my homies um, and the people that I love is super important, especially now that I've, I've moved to Connecticut. And, you know, Connecticut is nice, but this is not where my chosen family are or my circles are. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm very grateful for the Internet and yeah. for access to telephones because not everybody has that. Um, to be able to talk through things with folks and to to have those conversations. And sometimes it doesn't even have to be about the issues or the the ills, but let's talk about what makes you happy. What what gave you joy today? Um, I don't know, even if it's as simple as a sale at the supermarket, I don't know. Right. But focusing on that and trying to provide some balance to the life. Yeah. Yeah, well, I think just hearing what you talk about, you know, about always being you know, having the demand of producing and producing and what happens when you're not producing and how we oftentimes internalize that and make that something about our worth as a human is is a lot to deal with. And then add it on to all these other, all the other things people deal with. It just becomes a lot. I agree. That's so important. Thank you, Cindy. Um, I think one thing I keep in mind and that I remind others to keep in mind when they're just starting uh their journey on uh, having these difficult conversations, especially like older folks when they may have not been exposed to these topics before, given space to unpack these things, I think it's just important to remind yourself, to remind others that um, this work will be uncomfortable at times and that um, sometimes we need to sit with that. And um, it doesn't mean we're bad people. It just means that, um, you know, we're feeling the undoing of thousands of years of colonization and mm. it's not always easy. And with that also like learning how to hold space for yourself and others, um, because I don't think this work is something that can be done alone. I think we always need a community. We always need friends. Even those of us who um, may have done problematic things in the past need supporters, not mm-hmm. enablers, but supporters and there's a really big difference. Um, yeah, and I think learning how to um, just appreciate the things we do for ourselves to keep us in proper shape to continue the work that we do, not for the sake of producing, but just for the sake of um, allowing us to continue to be good relatives, because I know that when I get into a bad place, I feel like I'm not... Um, in a place where I'm always up to caring for others, although sometimes I am. Sometimes the only way I get out of funks is to help others with uh, something they're going through in their life or holding space for others. I think that in itself can be um, a big relief and a big way to incorporate love into your life. But again, um, 
at other times it can be very emotionally exhausting to do that. So I think understanding that um, doing that work for ourselves is just as valuable and it's actually super necessary. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think you both touched on it earlier, but as far as, you know, not people and white people in particular have a tendency to sort of shift that labor back on to people of color and women of color, you know, of, of doing of, of like, explain what you mean, tell me why, educate me, help me be better, help me be better, you know, and it's like, that's not like, I don't know, maybe actually one thing I would, I would ask is if you're interested to talk a little bit about holding space, because I think that's something that is a newer concept that not everybody is aware of. So what is what does that mean to you? And, you know, it can be in relation to this conversation or not. But how do you, you know, how do you find that that works for you in your life to hold space for somebody and what's that what's that concept about because I think it's something that maybe we talk about but not everybody knows what it is so I don't know Jen if you want to go first or not okay um well for me holding space um is pretty much what how would I describe this holding space for somebody entails being there to listen not necessarily to give um, feedback that's unsolicited not necessarily to treat um, the things you're being told or the person themselves like a problem but really just um, sitting with them um, from a place of compassion so that can require like literally just sitting with them being in the same space as them hearing them and um, you know just sharing sharing yourself with someone who may be in need of support of any kind without um, going in there with this kind of savior complex. So you're not approaching Mm -hmm. somebody or their issues like a puzzle that needs to be solved or like you don't take it as your obligation to work things out, but um, you're there for them basically to do what it is that um, will help them at the time. And sometimes it is feedback. I know for me, a lot of the time it is feedback and um, just helping me carry a conversation. It might look like um, getting your mind off something. Mm -hmm. So it looks different for everyone. But more than anything, it's being able to um, kind of take some of the burden off you when you're going through a hardship. So I know some very extreme examples like entail... um, you know, sitting with somebody as they're dealing with the death of a loved one or, um, you know, helping somebody just get the physical day-to-day tasks done, like the dishes or laundry. Mm-hmm. So it takes many forms. Yeah, awesome. Thank you. I appreciate that. And was there anything that you wanted to add, Zendi, to that? Um, I just sparkle to a lot that of what you said in particular like the difference between like holding space and just being present with someone and then instead of feeling like you have to provide a solution right sometimes a person just needs you there whether it's physically there or like a check-in I also think that there are you know there's levels to holding space Mm -hmm. so there's certain space holding that I only well, for my personal self-care, I limit it to, like, folks that are near and dear to me and folks that are part of specific communities mm-hmm. that are important to me that I feel need that space. Um, 
and this is coming from somebody who was a people pleaser and who still is a people people mm-hmm. pleaser. I'm in like recovering. Um, right. And the person that's always like, yes, like, you know, I'm a cancer, right? So like nurturing, I'm going to provide all the things to you. And I have personally had to limit uh, who and when and where and when am I like at do I have the bandwidth or the capacity to hold space for some folks? Because um, depending on the the setting, some folks feel like they're entitled for space holding. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't have it sometimes. And I can't give my full self to you if I can't uh, be there for you. And it depends, right? So now it's mostly my personal communities I hold space for, um, without a doubt. Because that's how, you know, that nourishes me too. And then when I'm teaching as an educator, that's that space where, like, you have the privilege to be able to be like, all right, these are the things. Let's talk about this. Um, And it it doesn't feel, for me, it doesn't feel like I'm giving a lot of emotional labor Mm -hmm. um, in in that learning space, right? Because, like, a risk-free environment is a learning-free environment. Um, But even then, it's, it's, it's a balance, right? Like it's a fine line uh, with these expectations of what is holding space for folks who are not near and dear to me or not part of the communities that I feel need space holding. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know. Like it, it looks different for everyone. Right. And I'm sure it depends on the, the time of the month and the moon. I don't know. Yeah, totally. Sometimes I am willing to be like, yes, I'll give you all the things. And, you know, I myself, I'm learning how to be like, mm, no, I can't provide that for you or no. And that's just a complete sentence. And, and that's it. Uh, and that's hard, right? Because I'm unlearning my own stuff with white supremacy and the effects of, even as a settler, right? Like the, these effects that we are taught that I'm supposed to always be available to provide for folks. And I'm mm-hmm. supposed to always give and give because that is my duty. And I'm supposed to do it with a smile. Um, even in educator spaces. And I feel like I have a lot of pushback with that because I've seen how um, the wear and tear that it does to my to my mind and my body and my spirit. Right. So like trying to balance not being jaded and wanting to give all this love that I have to give to folks um, and trying to, you know, not be an all or nothing person. But yes, to everything that you were saying, you know, sometimes holding space is just being present and just being there for someone. And, you know, an example, someone who holds space for me, they'll check in on the text and I'm like, I'm here for that. Right. Like just to know that I I'm seen or to know that I can see someone and just validate them and know that it's not just them or they're not bugging or it's not you're overanalyzing all these things that we've been taught and we have to unlearn about, you know, doubting uh, our feelings about any particular thing, but especially when it comes to sexuality and like white supremacy in this world. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Well, thank you for sharing that. Um, so that's about all the time we have for today. But I would mm-hmm. love if you all would like to give information about some of the projects or organizations you're involved in and how people can find you. So, Jennifer, do you want to go first? So, unfortunately, I don't have contact info for the programs I mentioned. Um, I was just invited to speak with Peer Ed's 
And um, I could definitely get it to you later. Yeah, well, and, and I like I said, I can put things in show notes as well. So okay. um, and I can put some links, drop some links. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't yeah. have it like, on hand, but for yeah. sure. Okay, awesome, cool. So check the show notes because they'll be there. Now that I've said that, I'll, it'll like kick my ass into actually like being like, Hunter, you said it. And so I'm like, okay, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. Message. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's your reminder. Yeah, exactly. So when I'm listening to this, I'm like, oh, yeah, I did that. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Got to do a thing. Gotta yeah, do exactly. Thing. Got some follow-up here. <laughs> um, I'm never good at this. It's me now, right? <laughs> yeah, it's you. It's all you. <laughs> it's all me. It's okay, all you. So I'll start with Wachshin. <laughs> okay. And... Like I said, Washington is doing a curriculum lab at ABSC in Chicago. So if you have access to ABSC or access to Chicago, um, which not everyone does, right? yeah, me yep. including, because I'm not going. Yeah. Um, <laughs> You're like, I won't be you there. Go but... to the, right, to the curriculum lab. If you go to Wachshin.org, it's uh, W-O-C-S-H-N.org. Um, or, or straight up the Women of Color Sexual Health Network on Facebook where there's a like page. And if you are a person of color, you can find the group that's POC only. And uh, we just asked a couple of questions so that we know you're not a robot. Um, <laughs> as far as me, I'm pretty simple. Well, yeah, I think I'm pretty simple. It's just my <laughs> whole entire name everywhere. I've changed it that way. It used to be Cindy F. and Lee a long time ago, but mm-hmm. we don't have to talk about that. That's another episode. <laughs> um, right. But it's Alves with an S, um, which, you know, throws people off sometimes. But it's Cindy Lee Alves on Facebook, on Twitter, on Instagram. And, yeah, I'm here. I'm available. I don't think I have, you know, I have a couple of engagements, but nothing that I can, like, tell people, hey, come to. Right, right. Uh, but I am open, so if folks want to get me all over the place, I, I'm here. Uh, right now, my, my big stuff, I used to do a lot of racial justice work. Mm-hmm. I still can. I still do. Um, I love everything about sexuality. Uh, I like talking about pleasure. The last thing I just did that I was really happy about, um, I spoke at Sister Song on fatness and sexuality. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's near and dear to my heart. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, come come find me and let's talk. And I'm a avid shimmier, so if you see me, <laughs> let's, let's shimmy it up. Yeah, I know I do. I do enjoy seeing your Facebook posts because there's always a, <laughs> like a, you know, an indication of a shimmy happening. And as somebody yes. who's, who's always humming or dancing at some point, you know, I, I can appreciate that. <laughs> so we should shimmy. I, I know, we should shimmy together sometime. Shimmy it up. Yeah. <laughs> Awesome. Well, thank you so much for um, both of you for being here today and calling in today and having this conversation and sharing, you know, some of these parts of yourselves. Um, it means a lot. And please go find them, go support the work they do. Um, there's a lot of really good work out there and hopefully you can be a part of supporting it. So thank you very much for being here, both of you. And we will um, be posting some of this stuff in the show notes so you can go find them and support them in the real world. Right, thank you. Thank you for having us. Of course. It was a pleasure. Yay. Okay, thank you, everybody, and we will talk to you later. We love and appreciate your feedback on our show. Email us at info at selfservetoys.com to send your feedback via email, or you can call us at 505-585-5538 to leave us an audio comment. Make sure to find us on social media sites to stay up to date with what we're doing. We have Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook, and you can find us at Self Serve Toys. 
You can also leave a comment there and we'll share it if you like. And you can get your voice and your perspectives heard on our show. We also want to give a huge shout out to our music, which was created by The Lazarus Letcher. Hope to see you next time.